Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. We've been going through a series on what we like to call in Karam the Jesus assumptions. So these are when you go through the Gospels, the things Jesus never commands his followers to do, but he assumes that if you're interested in Jesus, that you're doing these things. Partly it's because a lot of his audience were Jews, and so these are spiritual practices in the worldview and kind of milieu of Judaism. But so we've been going through these practices. We've had five of them, and our last one will be on scripture. And we're taking a little kind of pause from that. And I'm gonna give some updates from this trip for a few minutes, and then I feel like I have a little short word. Really, I'm gonna share a couple stories, read a scripture. At least relative to me, this will be a shorter teaching, I promise. And that is a relative description, shorter. Um, but yeah, we're going to depart from practices, and I guess, I guess we're, I'm giving a missions update of sorts. Let's see. And I wish Stephen were here. He'll probably share in the months to come and give some of his perspective. But yeah, so a little context for this. I think this organization is called Poetis. It's a missions base in rural Zambia. It's in a, a city called Choma. And these are just some photos, just to give you a sense of place and people. Um, but they've been working there locally, serving some surrounding villages, and there's kind of a town center. It's probably like the size of a small town in the US. There's probably 60,000 people in the surrounding kind of little region of Choma. But they do all kinds of stuff. They do a lot of uh, development work, and then also a lot of discipleship work. So, and I'll unpack some of those things more, but. These are just some photos and friendly faces of the crew there. This is, uh, they started last summer doing this week-long event called Love Choma, where they just try and gather like thousands of people to go and do community service for seven days straight. And then at the end, they hold like a worship gathering and just try to unify, bring unity to the church in the region. Um, so I think they had like 2,000 people last year and they're right where this dirt plot is right now while we were there, they're building like a roofed structure over that entire thing that could fit like a few thousand people. So what else? Oh yeah, look at this guy, handsome fella. So, so genuinely, I, I've been going here for years and I've just kind of seen it as this like little side nonprofit volunteer thing that I do. And then this trip, uh, I invited in, in the winter, I invited Stephen to help lead the 101 cohort here for Karam, our kind of onboarding class to leadership frameworks for our network. And then I said, oh, and if you lead it with me, you have, I was kind of joking, but I was like, wanted to see what he would do. I said, you have to come on this trip to Zambia with me and teach in this week-long seminar with me. And like the next day, he just texted me back. He's like, yeah, I'll go to Africa, cool. Um, which if you know Steven is probably not that surprising. He's like, oh, I've never been there, let's do it. But, but something about having him with really changed, I think, my headspace and mentality as we went. And it totally reframed and changed even the conversations we were having with both the students in this leadership school that we were teaching in, and also with the staff and the long-term missionaries who are a part of the Poetis family. And it, it just became really clear as the days went on there that we were representatives of this church family it wasn't just a thing that I was going and doing as an individual. 
And as Matt said, I mean, the hilarious part is like everything I teach, everything I do, like it was basically an 18 hour workshop over five days. And it was essentially a condensed kind of like shotgun version of the 101, 201 with some extra stories sprinkled in there. So in many ways, yeah, this was a expression. And in, I guess today even I'm, I'm almost like confessing like, hey, you guys have a church family in Africa that you didn't know about. You have some cousins you've never met. And, and genuinely, we're sitting there late at night talking ministry, talking about um, stuff they're doing on the ground. And John and Abby, the couple who are close dear friends and run this base, um, they're like looking at me and Steven saying, you guys are like the community that is shaping this base more than anyone else in the world. And they have some big mega churches that are donors and kind of help fund things. But in terms of values and mission and culture, um, like they see us as their sister church across the world. And so I guess I'm kind of just extending the invite and I can post and email out a link to their website if you want to explore more. But they, they told me to say this, if anyone's ever in Zambia, you have a place to stay as long as you want and jump in with some of the work they do in the local community. And obviously it's no one accidentally ends up in Zambia. It's about 36 hours of travel, so it takes a lot of effort. But, um, but genuinely, like anyone in this room, you could go on a trip to go and spend a month in Africa and serve with them in these local rural communities anytime you want. And all you'd have to do is say, hey, I'm part of that church in Denver. So kind of cool. Okay, let me make sure I'm staying on topic here. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's us teaching. Get it. Look at that. Wow. Action wow. shot. Wow. Revelation. Wow. Revelation. So, Genuinely today, what I'm gonna share is like a short word and, and you know, often I give this like dense teaching, 40 minutes. Today, it's, it's gonna be a lot simpler. I wanna share, I mean, we're gonna read a scripture and I'm gonna share a couple stories and I wanna talk about this word consecration. And uh, it's kind of an archaic word. We don't use this word a lot, but I think there's something maybe the Lord wants to speak for our community on it. So I'm just gonna say a quick prayer and then we'll probably spend you know, a short little while here talking about this idea of consecration. So. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak. Um, we thank you for this church family, Poetis, in Zambia. We pray over the work of their hands in that region. We pray for the region and city of Choma. We pray for the 40 missionaries who are serving there at this base long term, both Westerners and local Africans. Um, we just pray blessing over their lives and their sacrifices they're making to try and to try and demonstrate in an authentic loving way your gospel in a real place in a real community that desperately needs it so we just pray pray provision and blessings over that organization and the local church family that actually meets and gathers here and i just ask that that we would maybe as karam maybe there's a word here today for us to learn from them who are serving in a mission field a more explicit mission field overseas um, so we just, yeah, quiet our hearts and invite you to come and kind of sift us and speak to us. Amen. So, um, yeah, admittedly, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to travel to a place like this, you know, to do this missions work. And 
in what we like air quote missions work where it's very explicit I'm going to this country and showing up at this 34 acre missions base and they have 40 staff and tons of programs going on and thousands of stuff thousands of people being impacted on a weekly basis and there's something really powerful and kind of palpable about that and then I also reflect on what we're doing that's much more grassrootsy much more organic uh, I don't even, I was adding up the hours, I don't even think between the part-time people that work for Crumb, I don't even think we have one full-time staff, even though we're bringing on four more coordinators. So even with six of us, when you add up the hours, it's still less than one full-time person, right? And there's, there's kind of a shyness and a hiddenness to what we're doing, and, and genuinely, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. And the reality is, though, every time I go to a place like that, I'm reminded that in some ways, in some ways, it's a little easier to be in that context. It's a little easier, the kind of clarity and purity of purpose. It's like John and Abby, my dear friends who run this mission space, they wake up every day living in Zambia, and they know the only reason they're there is because of a clear call they feel from God. And they are, air quote, full-time missionaries in full-time ministry. And and again, there's something beautiful to that, like, kind of intense, separated nature. Um, but I come back from that trip, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to reprocess again. In some ways, as I said, it's the same values, it's the same vision, it's the exact same thing, it's a very different budget. But Karam is trying to do the same thing they're trying to do, but in a different wineskin, a different model, a different form. So we're trying to create a network and a community of not people who are full-time, people who have full-time jobs, but see themselves as missionaries in their communities, right? Koram Deo, that all of life is sacred and that everything we do is actually for the kingdom of God. And, but coming back, I think I did feel this word to kind of challenge and share with us. And uh, I don't know, some, sometimes I like to joke that I have the gift of imperception, you know? I'm not exactly the most like attuned this isn't something I do. I don't often stand up and say, hey, I think the Lord has a word for us or something. My wife's very discerning and spiritual, and, um, but I have the gift of imperception, which means selective unawareness of something, as in a bodily condition. Like, I sometimes just forget to go to the bathroom. I forget to eat lunch, like, multiple times a week. Uh, or this, I like this one, actually. This helps, this helps me a lot when I'm, when I'm doing public speaking and teaching. The, the gift of imperception is selective unawareness of behavior, the behavior of others. So I could literally be up here and you guys could start falling asleep and I will just keep going. I won't even notice. Sometimes I just like stare at a blank space in the back of the room. I mean, it, it helped me in Zambia last week when I was teaching for 18 hours. So, But in the midst of that and my gift of imperception and all, I think there's a word here for our community on consecration. And... And I share this, Donnie was making fun of me, uh, I, don't sh I don't share this as like a rebuke to our church, but, but I do mean for it to feel, I think there's something prophetic, something ch to be challenging us here, and I think it'll become clear that it's, it's for all of us, um, not just a few. So, an invitation to consecration. Where'd my clicker go? So this is, this is hilarious. Uh, so literally Friday, I was, playing, I was playing pickup soccer early in the morning with a bunch of guys in Denver. If anyone wants to join, come talk to me. 7 a.m. Friday mornings. But I'm talking to this guy, 
and he's asking me, oh, how's your summer been? I'm like, oh, I just got back from Africa and telling him all these stories. And then somehow we get talking about movies and he's like, oh, you're a pastor. You probably love movies. Great, great sermon illustrations. And I'm like, no, I'm not that kind of pastor, dude. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And then I'm not kidding. I went home. I start praying for this word. And I kid you not, this image <laughs> popped into my head of this scene from the Lord of the Rings. And, and also a little context, me and Steven binge-watched all three extended versions on the flight from London to Denver home for nine continuous hours, so it probably makes sense why that was in my head, but this is my favorite scene in the whole trilogy. Yes. <laughs> Let me tell you why, Benjamin. So th this, is, this is the crux moment in the middle of the two towers where Frodo is basically bemoaning and lamenting this burden that has fallen upon him, right? He's, he's pretty much just in self-pity. He's just kind of whining to Gandalf. Like, oh, I wish I didn't have to carry the ring. It's in fellowship. Oh, it's in fellowship. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. But Frodo says this. We digress. Frodo, Frodo says this. I wish it need not have happened in my time. Talking about the ring, talking about Mordor, talking about all the... <laughs> I can't believe I just said Mordor in the <laughs> sermon. Um, and Gandalf replies to him, so do I, Frodo. And then he says this. This is the key line, best part of the whole trilogy. He says, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. And I think on some level this is a pause from the sermon series on practices. But in another way it's also like, it's also in line with it. It's also just stepping back. We've been kind of diving into these spiritual disciplines and practices, and I think it's easy to get lost in the weeds and kind of lose sight of why are we even talking about those. Like, what is the goal of spiritual practices? Is it just we're modern Western folk in an urban city and we like this idea of life hacking and the power of habits and we're just, is it just because we're trying to make our lives more comfortable, healthier, better? Or is there a deeper, bigger vision and purpose here, right? Is, is the purpose of spiritual disciplines to actually form us into the type of people who are becoming like Jesus? Is the purpose of spiritual practices to kind of set our lives apart and form a different culture in us? Are we trying to actually consecrate our lives wholly to the Lord so that we aren't being basically commandeered by different narratives, different cultural forces that are at play? So spiritual formation is happening whether it's intentional or accidental. And, and I think this idea of consecration, I think, is, is at the very heart of why spiritual disciplines and the type of lives and kind of end goal we're all aiming at. So, right, last week we, or last month, we talked about the practice of Sabbath, and Sabbath is really all about the consecration of time. And it's this idea of setting aside a distinct part of your week to stop and rest and be human and kind of clear your scattered senses slow down, put your phone away, declutter, get rid of busyness, right? So there's this idea built into the practice of Sabbath of consecration. And I think what I want to invite us to today is to, I think it's important that we are consecrating certain things so that everything in our life can remain consecrated, right? Because if we don't consecrate intentionally, if we're not intentional about the little practices and habits, I think everything gets diluted and we end up losing. So I'm going to read a scripture for us. 
And I could have read a lot of scriptures, but this is the one that came to mind this week as I was praying. So this is Paul's letter to Timothy. And the context here, obviously, Paul's writing to his friend and apprentice, Timothy. And in many ways, you know, we probably read this as comments or a letter to a pastor or a leader in the church. But in our understanding of leadership, it is the church that is called saints. It's not special people. It's not just leaders. So every person who's a part of Jesus' church is called to leadership and called to be a saint. It's called to be a shepherd and a pastor to the world around us, the communities and workplaces and neighborhoods and people we find ourselves in relationship with. So I really want to challenge us to receive this as words to all of us, not just if you're in formal ministry or a pastor of a church, okay? So I'm just going to read this out and then we'll tell some stories and we'll wrap up. Paul says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And lastly, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And again, there's lots of Bible verses or stories in the scriptures that we could come to to talk about consecration. And just to give a little definition, to consecrate means to make or declare sacred to set apart in service to God, to devote to a purpose in a very sincere manner. Right? This is, this is Romans 1, where Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And here, I've highlighted some of the verbs that Paul is commanding Timothy, or encouraging, exhorting Timothy, Those are verbs of consecration. Train, labor, strive, set an example, devote, be diligent, give yourself holy, watch your life, watch your doctrine, persevere. Dallas Willard has this great line. He says, the gospel of Jesus is not opposed to striving, it's opposed to earning. The New Testament is filled with language in the epistles that we are to strive. We are to diligently put in effort, that we are to give ourselves holy, watch our lives, watch our doctrine, persevere, set an example, labor, train. And I think I, again, this idea of consecration, it's, it's very easy to see it, and it's actually much easier to do it in these extreme examples. And maybe some of us have like seasons of life that we relate to for this, but like there was a season of my life where I was on a trajectory going to grad school for engineering and then very clearly felt like the Lord disrupted, did some deep, healthy, good identity work. And I left that behind and I went and I served as a missionary. 
And in some ways, that's a beautiful thing. And it's also very easy. It's almost like the shortcut, simple way to say, oh, I'm consecrating my life. You make some dramatic, extreme decision to leave behind whatever, living in a city, working a nine to five job, raising children, going and hanging out at Denver Beer Co. with your friends on the weekend, right? It's easy to, to think of consecration in these kind of extreme forms, whether in the present for missionaries, ministry people, or in church history for the monastic movements, right? I came back into this environment after, you know, being on this mission space where there's 40 full-time staff who, again, very clearly are consecrating all of their lives. They're forsaking all kinds of other desires and things that they maybe wanted to do or wish they could do or hope to do one day because they feel like God's telling them to do this thing. And then I come back to our more organic, enmeshed, less than one staff person church, and I'm, and I'm just left with the challenge and the question of like, are we living consecrated lives? And I want to highlight this. I'm going to tell a story about my friend Justin, not Sayo. Sorry, Justin. I have a new, I have a new best friend named Justin. So this, this is my friend Justin from Zambia. I met him a handful of years ago when I was teaching in his internship and his intensive that I came and taught in. And Justin is winsome, funny, likable. He's college educated. Before he joined and did the intensive, he was working in insurance industry. And he was basically the oversight person for a large insurance firm over the entire southern province of Zambia, which is like the equivalent of a state, like Massachusetts or something. So he's like crushing life. Financially, he's doing great, living, living large, doing awesome. He gets befriended by some people from Poetis, and over the course of a couple years, him and his wife decide for him to take a leave of absence from his job and go do this kind of missionary intensive, this leadership development school, and then he goes back to his job, and then in the year that followed, just slowly through navigating this, discerning, processing it, he decides that the Lord's calling him to full-time ministry. So he leaves his very lucrative job to go on to missionary support and go full-time with Poetis. And I, I show back up two years later after not seeing him or keeping up very well, and he's still on staff full-time, and we caught up one afternoon, sat and had coffee for like two hours, and, and a big thing he was processing with me was like every month he's getting hit up for job opportunities to go back into insurance and the offers like for pay just keep doubling and like getting bigger and bigger. And so he's just like many of us, he's just processing life decisions, career, money. He's got a wife and two kids. He's just navigating this. And, and like many of us would have probably offered counsel. I kind of go into this spiel as I'm counseling, coaching him, just asking questions, giving ideas and feedback, I'm coaching him into this idea of Koram Deo. I'm coaching him into this idea that all of us are trying to live and embody that there's no secular, there's no sacred. And Justin, you don't have to be a full-time missionary to, to be consecrated to God or to be following God's will, or right? So I'm, I'm trying to make sure that he doesn't feel some weird religious pressure, that he needs to be a missionary because God loves him more than versus pursuing a career where he could have maybe potentially even more impact on his community, society, 
So I'm offering him some of this advice, which comes from my probably bias and paradigm and how I'm choosing to live of being bivocational and owning a business and all this stuff. And, and he left feeling super encouraged, I think. And, and I, I don't regret anything I counseled him in or any advice I gave. And uh, we committed to follow up in the coming months and talk more. And I think for him, it's just healthy to talk with people who aren't living in that bubble of missionaries, right? Working in full-time ministry. So I don't, I don't retract or take back anything I said. But then the next day I'm sitting, hanging out with John, and he's like, oh, I saw you got to connect with Justin. Like, that's so awesome. And he just starts telling me all these cool stories about stuff the Lord's been doing in Justin's life. And, and he tells me, he's like, did he tell you what happened the other week? And I'm like, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, what happened? And... So Poetis, the space, they do all these different community development things, and especially during this six-week intensive, they do afternoon like ministries. So they have a group of people that go to the local prison, a group of people that go to the local hospital, a group of people that go to these kind of addictions meetings. So they're just trying to, they have a bunch of these different outlets for people to engage and serve in the community. But some days there's too many people, and so if, if you kind of like don't make the cut and you don't go to one of those, then you're basically destitute to just go wander the town and like pray for people so they, they just go on prayer walks which for some of you are like that's my nightmare to go wander around pray and talk to strangers and uh so they do this like on a weekly basis and one one afternoon justin and three of these students uh didn't have a spot so they're like well i guess we're going to town so they all prayed and said lord like what do you want us to do today and one of the students, maybe they heard God, maybe they made it up, but they saw a picture of this place in the market, and so they, they go into town, and they end up in the market at this place. So it's where the train comes through town. And as they're walking around, just chatting with people, seeing if the Lord wants them to meet anyone or pray for someone, it starts pouring raining. And I'm not talking like a little rain. It's like, this is like rainy season, like monsoon rain. So this dirt set of train tracks becomes like a field of mud. And people start just like fleeing. And they're standing there like a 20 minute walk from home. And they're like, well, great. What are we supposed to do now? And they, they try vacating over to the side and to get cover under some of the shops. And as they get close to the edge of the shops, some man emerges out and he's clearly intoxicated, like stumbling drunk going, pray for me, pray for me. And he's mocking them. And I don't know if they knew him or if he had seen them like praying for people or I don't know what was going on in this guy's head. But he starts screaming and yelling at them, pray for me, pray for me. And Justin really calmly walks up, puts his hand on his shoulder and starts to just pray a simple prayer of the love of God. And, and this guy... I mean, I, I wasn't there. I just have heard the story. This guy somehow ends up getting knocked over and falling into the mud. And then he stands up completely sober, covered in mud. And one of the students who's with Justin in that moment feels, probably because they're young and zealous, feels compelled to give this guy a hug. And they just jump on him and give him this huge hug. So now they're both covered in mud. And all of a sudden, this guy just breaks down and starts weeping, crying. And, and they got to go back into the shop and talk with this guy for a long time. And I, I don't know the status of where the relationship's at now, but, but I'm hearing John tell this story. And then I'm reflecting on some of this as I'm flying home. And I just, I just feel so clearly the Lord saying, 
David, do not underestimate the power of a consecrated life. And I'm, I'm not saying that a consecrated life to Jesus, lordship and surrender, always results in dramatic things like, I'm not saying a consecrated life means we're praying for people and they get knocked over all the time, right? Um, that's kind of a crazy, dramatic story in a whole different culture, in a whole different place. But I just felt leaving, leaving Zambia, I'm reflecting on the plane, I'm journaling and praying, and I'm like, man, have I, have, have I just been swimming in some cultural waters where I've lost that clarity of a consecrated life? Is there, is there a dilution that happens? And, and we talk all the time in Dale about there's no secular and there's no sacred. And as an idea, I believe that's true, but the reality is the secularness or the sacredness of what we do with our lives depends on our motive. It depends on us. It depends on, to consecrate means to set something apart as holy. So the consecration, the sacredness of life, it actually is on us internally. A.W. Tozer has this great line. He says, it is not what you do that determines whether the work is sacred or secular. It's why you do it. And there are days where I feel discouraged, tired, or life's just hard, and I nostalgically dream of just going, ah, the heck with this. I'm just going to move back overseas and be a missionary. Like, there are times where nostalgically, romantically, that sounds simpler, easier, sounds more beautiful. But genuinely, I actually love the way that we are trying to live a life of following Jesus here in Denver, embedded into a society, a community, into jobs and workplaces and neighborhoods. I actually, more than anything I've ever done in my life, love what this community is trying to do here. And I also think that the risk that then we are faced with is losing the clarity of purpose that John and Abby with wake, wake up with every day living in Zambia. That we are gonna get kind of caught up in just the busyness the worries, the paying the bills, figuring out childcare, like that is, that is the allure of trying to live an integrated life where all of life becomes sacred. I'll just read this here and then we're gonna hold a little space for some reflection in closing. So I wonder sometimes in my integrated, my organic, my holistic approach, if I run the risk of losing touch with consecration, with the profound depth and power of God that waits to saturate our lives as we again and again cast everything back to him. Because it is one thing to declare the idea that there's no division between secular and sacred. It's entirely another thing to live a consecrated life where that actually becomes true. It's another thing to live a consecrated life to the Lord where our families, our workplaces, our, our habits and patterns, our normal everyday life becomes sacred. As Tozer says, again, it's not what you do that determines whether the work is sacred or secular. It is why we do it. So as, we, as I wrap up this, but almost as we kind of start coming to a close on this series on spiritual practices, I think there's a... There's a but there's a question of motive or our why that I want to just kind of linger with us. And it's crazy, guys. Like, I don't know, it's not convenient. It, when I was in my 20s, it was fun going to Africa. Genuinely, the months leading up, I'm confessing publicly, the months leading up to going to Zambia this year, I'm like, oh gosh, this is so inconvenient. Like, it's not, 
convenient for my wife. It's not, I don't make any money. I don't get paid to do this. It's not like some glamorous thing. Like, I have to stop working. It's not convenient for Matt or John or the people I run a tutoring company with. It's, it's actually like sacrifice, um, and especially for my wife. I mean, I get to go to Africa and hang out with some people and get good, good nights of sleep. Like my wife has to stay home with two kids and, and then it, the craziest thing is I come back and Katie's telling me stories of, of being in the car driving to work and just breaking into tears crying or, or jumping into a quiet time and feeling like she hasn't connected well with God in, in a while and then all of a sudden it's just like the presence of God is just really near and close. And th there was a moment on the way there, I was probably like two Benadryls and some melatonins deep. I'm on an 11-hour flight from London to South Africa. And I kid you not, I wake up in the middle of my nap and I, ha I have a PDF document of all the faces, like 30 faces of all these internship students who are in this school that I'm speaking in. And I wake up from a deep sleep just picturing their faces. And I just start like uncontrollably weeping because I feel deep in my gut like this overwhelming sense of God's love for these people who I'm going to serve and spend the week with. And I just, I just think there's a level of intimacy and a level of nearness of God that awaits on the other side of consecration and on the other side of this question of what are, what are we doing in our lives or with our lives that the motive, the why, is just because we love Jesus and we care about people. So that's the invitation as we close today. And in many ways, that's the invitation, I think, of this whole season of spiritual practices, right? Spiritual practices are not just a self-help thing to get our lives better. It's an invitation to consec a consecrated life so that when we're in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, we've been formed into a different kind of person. So Mia's going to hold a little space, and then uh, right, right before noon, uh, in about five minutes, someone will hop up and just dismiss. So. Feel free to stay seated, walk around. Um, but really, we just want to hold a little space to linger and just pray. Just pray a little with Jesus. Um, if anything in those stories stirs something in you, whether that's confession, whether that's gratitude, whatever it might stir. So, yeah, Holy Spirit, be near. And we just invite you to speak to our hearts. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.